So in our series today, in the midst of a world going crazy, I think that the most important question is, what can wash away my sin? Um, the preacher in the church that I grew up in um, loved to talk about sin. He wanted you to know you were a bad person, and he wanted you to feel bad about being bad, and he never really talked about what to do about your sin. He just said, you're bad, bad people go to hell, and I believed him. I was a bad person. Even as a kid, I understood that I had done some things wrong. And so um, I got to thinking about how, how children understand this concept sometimes more than, than adults do. And uh, so I was, I was thinking about Waylon. A couple of months ago, Waylon was being defiant. Now, I don't mean he was being cute. He was not being cute. Uh, his, his Amy, that's what she's called, Amy was telling him to do something, and he refused to do it. I mean, he put his foot down, stomped his foot. He refused to do it. So Pop-Pop said, Waylon, you better do this. And Waylon would not do it. He was being defiant. And never before in his three years had I swatted his hiney, but I walked up and I swatted his little hiney and his world came down and all of a sudden he was no longer defiant. I grabbed him up and I, and I hugged him in my arms and I told him how much I loved him and I told him that it was very, very important for him to listen um, and he understood that. And so now, randomly during the week, so this was at probably two months ago, randomly during the week, he will say, I got a SWAT today and we'll say, did you get a SWAT today? No, not today. I got a SWAT. Well, why'd you get a SWAT? And, he's, and I asked him this in the car with Janie the other day. We were driving along. This was just two days ago because I was thinking about this sermon. I said, why did you get a SWAT? And he said, because I was not listening to Amy. Should you listen to Amy? Yes, sir. I should listen to Amy. So even kids understand this idea of right and wrong. A three-year-old has this idea of right and wrong. And I love having conversations with Waylon because if you ask Waylon what he's doing, he's going to tell you. Now, the other day, uh, Amy was getting ready for, for the day. She's putting on her makeup. She had her coffee in there. And he sneaks in, and he drops some Play-Doh into her cup, into her coffee cup. And he was so excited about this. Waylon, what are you doing? I'm putting Play-Doh in Amy's coffee cup. Oh, he thought that was so funny when she tried to drink it she did not think it was so funny but he thought it was so funny Waylon what are you doing he'll be in there he has his little Woody you know from Toy Story he has Woody and what are you doing I'm gonna drop Woody in the in the potty why are you gonna do that I don't know he just will tell you things that you'll say don't do that he'll go why because in his little mind it makes perfect sense that you should put play-doh in Amy's coffee cup that you should put Woody in the potty we look at our kids, kind of shake our heads and go, man, these kids, sometimes we think they'll be the death of us, but it's pretty cute, nothing really harmful. But when we grow up, the wrongs we do get bigger than just dropping Play-Doh in Amy's coffee cup, don't they? And, and our mistakes aren't really mistakes. We talked about this several weeks ago when we plan to do them. By definition, if you plan to do it, then you cannot call it a premeditated mistake. It's much deeper than that. When you do it intentionally, mistake doesn't cut it with God. Mistake doesn't cut it with the person that you hurt. And so when you think about that, it's a sin. And sin leaves scars. What can wash away my sin? It's a question that we've got to ask today. And, and isn't it true that all of us can look back at some point in our life, we can look at something we've done, and we can shake our heads and say, man, what was I thinking? That was so embarrassing. All right, anybody? Anybody? We've got a few people in here. Can you all help me out with that? Um, I can't believe I did that. You hope that no one asks you about your first marriage. You, uh, you hope that no one asks you about your college days or that weekend or that time you were with your friends and you got busted by the cops or that time you wasted all of that money or the fight you had with your brother or the time you got fired from your job. Isn't it true there are whole seasons in our life that we wish we could go back and do over again? We can't do that, so we need to ask the question, what can wash away 
my sin. Now, Peter says this in, in 1 Peter three seventeen. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. How many of you in this room and how many of you on, on, watching online can say that your greatest regrets came from suffering from doing what was right? Anyone? No one here? No, you can't say that. Not a chance. And see, not only do we realize that we've had some sins in our life, we've done some really big things, but we have this adult-sized guilt and shame when we grow up. And did you know that guilt and shame are not religious? You don't have to go to church to suffer from guilt and shame. Did you realize that? If you'll be honest for two seconds this morning, you would ask, is there anything that can wash away my sin? What can wash away my memories, my, my feelings, my shame, my guilt? Because I think that, I think that every one of us has tried to not think about it, whatever your it is. Are you with me? Anybody? Okay, y'all help me out. Y'all really got to help me out. This is weird, preaching to eight people. Um, so y'all help me out today. Um, some days you're more successful about not thinking about it, right? But then something happens. Boom, you walk down uh, the, the, the hallway and you see that person, or you hear a song, or you see a sign, you see a picture, all of those all of that pain comes rushing back. Or, or when you're older like me, your spouse might say, hey, let's go to Disney World. And you go, nope, can't go there. I can't even enter that state because what I did there was so bad. I'm, that's just hypothetical. That's not me, by the way. Uh, <laughs> memories are just too painful. You can't go there. Um, some of you have tried to drink it away, not just not think about it. You tried to drink it away, medicate it away, work it away, give your money away, have more children, anything to distract you from your past. And I'm not talking about those things that we like to share at parties. Oh, that's nothing. John and I do this all the time. He'll tell me something he did. And then I'll say, well, that's nothing. And we get to go and we tell some funny stories about some dumb things we've done. But what I'm talking about today is not funny to you. It's not funny to anyone else. They're sins. And when we can't escape it, when, when we can't just not think about it, when we can't distract ourselves, what we'll do is we'll rationalize. We'll say, well, you know, nobody's perfect. I'm only human. And we'll say things like this. I was young. I was drunk. Go ahead. Go ahead. Next one. I was angry. I was lonely. I was broke. So I couldn't help it. But when, when you say those things, when you make excuses, does that lighten the weight of your sin? Yes or no? No, thank you. I'm glad you're here, John. You got to be here every week of this quarantine thing. Uh, and so here's the real deal. When we make excuses, it just piles up weight and it gets heavier. And so when we can't escape it, we can't rationalize it and all of that stuff, then we have to come to this conclusion. My actions created a debt, which means I owe someone. I owed it to her to have been a better spouse. I owed it to my kids to be a better father. I owed it to him to be faithful. I should have been a better person. If I could forgive myself or pay them back, then this weight would be gone. Now, when you were younger and you were in math class, <laughs> some of you are still in math classes, um, do you use a pen or a pencil when you do a math class? Pencil, why? Because you can erase it. You make a mistake, you just erase it, right? Well, here's the deal. There's no eraser for what you did if it was just a mistake with your ex you could erase it and you could go back and you could change it but the truth is it was much deeper than a mistake there was something evil there was something sinful there was something mean about what you did what can wash that away because you can't go back and relive it you can do better in the future but what can you do about your past you see the interesting thing to me is that every religion out there offers a solution for sin 
Every one of them. A list of things that you must do in order to be forgiven. And many of you have tried those things and you've, you've been frustrated because it didn't make you feel any better. But in the history of mankind, there's only one person who ever said, I don't have a solution. I am the solution. And who said that? Jesus. Today, we're going to look at some verses from the, the fourth book of the New Testament. Y'all help me out. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All right. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, this John who wrote the fourth book of the New Testament, he's the one that Jesus looked at his mother and he looked at John and he said, John, my mom is now your mom. Take care of her. So this John was obviously very close to Jesus. He was an eyewitness to all of Jesus' three years on the earth. And he tells us about another John called John the Baptist. Now, why didn't they call him John the Methodist or John the Catholic or John the Presbyterian? Because this has nothing to do with denomination. This had to do with something he did. He baptized people, and it was so different that they gave him the nickname, nickname John the Baptizer. Now, what John did had never been done before in recorded history. In the time of Jesus, if someone wanted to convert to um, the Jewish religion, there would be this big ceremony they would do, and they would have this big ceremonial bath, and they would go down in, and they would wash themselves. They would baptize themselves. But no one in history had ever baptized someone else. John the baptizer does something different. He tells people that, that um, you're not going to baptize yourself. You're going to have to repent of your sin, and by repenting of your sin, you're identifying with John's message. You're going to walk down in the Jordan River, and he's going to take you. And I think that because John was crazy. You know, John lived out in the wilderness. People thought he was nuts, and he had, he had uh, camel hair for his, his uh, outfit. He ate wild locusts and honey, and he was kind of crazy-eyed. And I think when he came in to baptize people, I don't think it was a gentle baptism. A baptism. I think he grabbed him by the shirt, and he said, ka-chow, and brought him back up, right? I mean, this was different. This guy was very, very different. Not only was he crazy, not only was this crazy man baptizing people, but he was baptizing a crazy amount of people. Look at Mark 1.5, and here's what Mark tells us. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. Okay, so everybody was going out. And what were they doing? They were confessing what? Sins, not mistakes, not errors in judgment. They were confessing their sins and going and being baptized by this guy in the Jordan River. Thousands and thousands of people were making this trek from Jerusalem. And, and if you had a jet pack today, you could go, it's about 20 miles. You could go straight as the crow flies. You could go about 20 miles from Jerusalem to where John was baptizing on the other side of the Jordan. But back in those days, to go down into the canyons and around, it would probably be about a 40-mile journey. It would take you a whole day to get there. So when this says that thousands and thousands of people were going from the whole uh, Judean countryside and, and Jerusalem, um, they're having to get up one day, walk all day, spend the night somewhere. Then the, the second day, they're listening to this crazy man who's baptizing people and maybe they're getting baptized themselves and then the third day they have to walk uphill it wasn't uphill both ways it's downhill from jerusalem it was uphill back three-day journey this must have been an incredibly significant thing for people to take a three-day journey out of it now here's what you need to know about john the baptist matthew mark luke and john the first four books of the new testament all tell us about john the baptist then there's this guy named josephus he is a um He's a historian, a Jewish historian, wrote around 70 AD. He tells us about John the Baptist. Even Muhammad in the Quran talks about John the Baptist. The reason I tell you this, this is a real person. This really happened, and people were going out to him, and so many people were going out to him that the religious leaders finally go out themselves, and they say, you got to tell us, who are you? Are you the Messiah? 
And John says, no, I'm not the Messiah. And they said, are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Are you one of the prophets? No, I'm, not, I'm none of those things. Then who are you? They had the right, the religious leaders had the right to test any new teacher. They're saying, who are you? Here's what John says about himself in John chapter 1, verse 26. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He's already here. You remember John's ministry was to, to make way, make a straight path for the Lord, the Messiah. He's already here. You don't even know him. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John's saying, I'm nothing. You see these big crowds? Nothing means nothing if I don't prepare the way for the guy coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now, you have to understand that when John preached, this was not seeker sensitive. It was not kind. It was not smiling and everybody's going to have grace and love and joy. He told them, repent. You're bad people, repent. Kind of sounded like my first preacher who wanted us to know we were bad people. You're bad people, repent. And they repented. The very next day, look what happens, John 1, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he says, look, okay. So thousands, right? Thousands of people. Are, are there on the shores of the Jordan listening to him preach, watching him baptize people. And he says, whoa, 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 stop, stop. Can you imagine if you're next in line? I mean, like you've waited for hours to be baptized by this guy. And he goes, whoa, time out. Look, look up there. Look up on the hill. Because the Jordan, you're going to go up on the hill. Look. And what do he say? Look, the Lamb of God. And literally, that means the Lamb God who sent, that, the Lamb that God has sent. The Lamb of God means the Lamb God has sent. What does he do? He takes away the sins of the world. Now, the reason this is such a big deal is for 1,479 years, that's the literal time frame, the Jews had been sacrificing lambs because God told them, if you sin, you have to shed the blood of an innocent third party, an innocent lamb, a perfect lamb. And when you take that blood, the priest would take it and they would sprinkle it over the people. And by covering you with the blood, if the blood covered you, that symbolized that your sins were not forgiven, they were covered for a year and they would do it again year after year, sacrificing thousands and thousands of lambs for thousands of years. They've lived out this covenant with God because God said anytime someone sins, an innocent third party, an innocent animal has to die for your sins because they lived in an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth society. By sacrificing an animal, they were saying, we recognize that we deserve to die and we're so thankful that you've allowed us to offer the life of an animal instead of our own life because we realize we've sinned against the holy God and we cannot be holy without something shedding its blood. So to that group of people, John says, look, hang on, you've been sacrificing animals, and, and you know no amount of animal sacrifice can, can equal a human sacrifice. He, looks, he says, look, there's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So here it is, literally, the lamb who lifts up and carries away. So I want you to say that, lifts up and carries away. I'm going to say the lamb who does what? The lamb from God who does what? Lifts up and carries away the sins of the world. No other religion offers this. God's in a lamb. He's going to lift up and carry away the sins of the world. Jewish sin, Roman sin, American sin, European sin, your sin, my sin. Now, one night towards the end of his ministry, his earthly ministry, Jesus gathers the, the 12 for what would be their first, their last, I'm sorry, their last Passover meal. Uh, Passover, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, weeks ago. It's the annual celebration where they celebrate God sending the death angel and everybody who had the, the blood of the lamb over the doorposts, the death angel would pass over that. And so every year for years and years and years, 1,500 years, they've been celebrating the Passover. And, and I got to ask you a question. When, when Moses went to the children of Israel and they said, go kill a lamb, this is the first time, go kill a lamb, take some of the blood, put it over the doorpost. Did the people, the children of Israel who were slaves, did they have any proof that God was going to do what he said he was going to do? No, they had to believe. 
And those who believed and put the blood over the doorpost, it says that the angel came, killed the firstborn of anyone who did not have the blood. They trusted, they believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And the next day they were free and they left Egypt. And once per year, Jewish people were commanded to celebrate the Passover. You need to remember what God has done. So Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his 12 disciples. And he says something that would have been incredibly offensive to any God honoring Jew. He says, I know you've been, that since you were little boys, you've been celebrating this Passover. And I know what all this means, but today we're going to do something different. I know we're supposed to remember that God delivered the children of Israel, but today this bread is going to represent my body. We're going to change everything from what you've known for 1,500 years. And the blood that I'm about to shed, the, the cup is going to represent that blood that's going to be shed for you. That would be so offensive. It'd be like me coming in here the Sunday before Christmas and say, uh, 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 nope, nope, nope. This year we're going to celebrate Doug's birthday, not Jesus' birthday. Would you be coming back the next week? Probably not. You'd think, Doug's lost it. Let's get him out of the pulpit. Let's put him out the pasture like Nebuchadnezzar when he was a cow. I don't know. He's completely lost his mind if you tried to change Christmas. That's what Jesus did that Passover night. They were stunned. He said, this bread from now on, it's going to represent my body broken for you. And my blood, this cup is going to represent my blood shed for you. And so right after that meal, he goes out and that night he's arrested and all those tough men ran away. They lost the faith. Jesus was beaten. He was crucified and he died and he seemed to be defeated. He seemed to be defeated unless you know, we can look back and we can see, here's the deal. Why did he do it? Here it is. Uh, Hebrews 9, 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified by blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Something has to pay their life. So when John says, look, the Lamb of God, he's changing it from the, from the animal sacrifice to a human sacrifice, they would have been stunned. And when Jesus said, my body is broken for you, I'm the Lamb of God, they would have been stunned. What can wash away your sins? You can't. Alcohol can't, sports, sex, drugs, work, going to church, can any of those things that I just mentioned, can they come and pick up your sins and carry it away? No. There's only one lamb from God who lifts up and carries away sin. So we come to about 20 years after the resurrection. Jesus went back to heaven. There's a guy named Paul. And you know that he's a former persecutor of the church. Um, and he wrote a letter to a brand new Christian church. See, Paul knew what John the Baptist had said. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul knew that. Paul had also heard what Jesus said the night before he was crucified at the Last Supper. He knew that he'd changed the Passover meal. He knew all of that. Um, here's what Paul describes about what Jesus did on the cross is in, in Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Notice that word. Debt is in the middle. We were indebted because of our sins which stood against us and condemned us look what he did paul says the same thing he has taken it away john said it several years before look the lamb of god who takes away paul says when he died on the cross he canceled our indebtedness he has taken it away nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross you see the reason you feel guilt and shame when you mess up is because you are guilty <laughs> We should be ashamed of some of the things that we've done. But here's the deal. When you believe in Jesus and ask him to forgive your sins, your debt is canceled. You are no longer in debt. That's the next one. Your debt is canceled. When you believe in Jesus, you're no longer condemned. Isn't that cool? I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away, and that someone was Jesus Christ. 
Jesus took our debt and he nailed it to the cross. What can wash away my sin? Nothing I can do. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When he died, he canceled your indebtedness to you and to anyone else, and he canceled your indebtedness to God. So here's what I want you to hear today. You do not have to forgive yourself because yourself has already been forgiven. Let me say that again, and I don't know if anybody in the room needs to hear it, but I know some people online need to hear this. You do not have to forgive yourself because yourself has already been forgiven. Now, if you want to spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to get your, your sins washed away, you can do that. Um, if you want to look for a religious system that will tell you you have to do 10 different things in order to get your sins washed away, you're welcome to do that. But there's only one person who said, I'm not a system, I am the solution to your problem, and that was Jesus. He came to pick up and carry away the sins of the world. Uh, now, if you want to carry your own sins, God will honor that choice, but you don't have to. If you accept Jesus' payment for your sins, then from now on, your past does not have to be something that you dread. Your past can, can cause you to look and say, Jesus had mercy on me. He had grace. He had forgiveness. From now on, they will stand to this incredible God who loved you enough to pay the debt for you. So when the enemy of God, I don't even like to call his name, when the enemy of God comes and says, you're a failure, you can say, I was before Jesus. When the enemy of God says, you're worthless, you can say, well, I was before Jesus. But the Lamb of God came and took my sins and carried them away. So if you were to go to the, the, to the people in the Bible and you were to say, Paul, what can wash away my sins? What would he say? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you were to go to Matthew, the, first, the writer of the first book in the New Testament, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Okay, Mark, second writer, writer of the second book, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Luke, John, James, the half-brother of Jesus, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Every other religious system is going to have a, a list of things that you have to do to try to be saved. But in Christianity, we don't do anything because Jesus has already done it. You believe Jesus died on the cross, that he picked up your sins and you carried them away. Now, if God doesn't condemn you, who are you to condemn yourself? You don't have to forgive yourself. Yourself has been forgiven. So the question is, has there ever been a moment in your life when you've received that forgiveness? I want you to bow your heads, even at home, bow your heads. And, and I'm going to ask you in the room to say this out loud. Just, just, this is a prayer asking God to forgive us. And I think everybody in this room is a child of God. But I want you to pray this out loud with me. Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe that when Jesus died, he paid for my sin. I believe that he's the Savior of the world. I believe that nothing I do will ever pay for my sin. <laughs> Good job, John. I need you to pay for it, God. Today I believe you picked up and carried away my sin. When guilt comes upon me, when shame comes upon me, help me to remember that I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.